we are continuing, actually we're wrapping up our mini-series within the, the Mark Gospel. And so in this mini-series, which is chapter 2, we're looking at this challenging religion. And in week 1, we saw that Jesus healed this, this paralyzed man who was dropped through the hole through the roof of this house right before him. In the first words he saw, he saw the faith of this man trying to get before Jesus and his friends and what they did to get their friend there. And he says, your sins have been forgiven. Now, the religious leaders there at the time, the Pharisees did not like that because only God can forgive sins and they were not recognizing Jesus as God. And then Jesus went a step further and not only healed him spiritually but physically. And in week one, we learned that Jesus is greater than religion. However, religion and the, the details of religion, Jesus is greater than that. And then in week two, we looked at these two people in the story, two types of people. We looked at this tax collector. We also looked at the Pharisees and the tax collectors grouped in with these other disreputable people. And we see that they understood that they were sinners. They understood that they weren't perfect. And then the lens shifts over to the Pharisees who believe that they are righteous that they're better than everyone else. But in reality and truth, there's only one type of people. We're, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's important to recognize that because it's at that place where you come to the brokenness that you need a Savior. Now you can encounter Jesus. When you're righteous and self-righteous, righteous, you're looking at your inner being of what you're doing and you're saying, yes, I'm going to work my way. I'm going to do things in a way that's going to get me made right with God and that's not how it works because we've all fallen short. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus. And then last week, we looked where Jesus was challenged because the onlookers, as they say in Scripture, looked at him and says, why don't you... In your disciples fast, like John the Baptist, his disciples, they fast. Why don't you fast? And we looked at these religious activities that we do. But we also learned that the Pharisees also fasted so that people would see them fast. That they would go into public and really make sure that people knew that they were suffering from whatever they were giving up. Because they wanted to be seen. They liked that elite status, that they're more religious than everyone else. And they implemented this twice a week fasting, which was really never ordained by God. But Jesus says, I have come to bring a newness. I have come to establish my kingdom. And he used this analogy of this cloth being sewn over this other cloth in wineskins and basically saying that's useless to do that. It's useless to sew new cloth onto old cloth and to put new, wines, new wine into old wineskins. You just don't do that. He says, I have, I have come to establish my kingdom. However you think religion is supposed to be done, you're wrong, I'm right, and right now is not the time to fast. It's time to celebrate me because I am with you. And today we're going to continue on in week four, and we're going to be looking at the Sabbath, and I'm going to come back to that. But really, what we're going to be looking at in this story and the passages that Jesus is going to speak truth to us is this love versus legalism idea that exists. And so we're going to get to a lot of the, the legalism, people being legalistic in this passage and the stories that we're going to be looking at. But what I feel that we are more challenged with today is the love part, meaning you can distort both of these in a negative way. Legalism, it's all about following the rules and all about being trying to be perfect for God and good enough for God. And when we put those expectations and burden on people, there's only going to be one outcome. We're going to fail. 
If God would have given us, given us one commandment, just one in all of Scripture, we would have failed in that area because we're not perfect. And we can see how that can lead then into a sinful state. And we're going to, like I said, talk about that more and more as we get into Scripture today. But what I see happening within our church and because of our culture, our culture is moving in a direction and focused on the love, and it's not the biblical definition of love. Because the biblical definition of love is we see that we have to speak truth and love, truth in love, and it's important to understand how love and truth complement each other, and really God's plan, love and legalism complements each other. He gave us the moral law, the the what-to-dos and not-to-dos, and his love, and and those things complement each other, but we can distort those. And so how do we distort love today in this culture? Because it is getting really impossible to tell anyone how to live their life. That's where our culture exists right now. So I believe the church is more tested in today's day and age. Like we're going back a couple thousand years ago and we see legalism kind of dominating the scene at this point. Well, now we're distorting love because so many people are scared or they don't have the courage to really speak the truth in love on how relationships should be, how family structure should be. And when we do that, we're not really loving them because Jesus models this for us today. And he does, if you read throughout the scripture in the New Testament, Jesus always challenged everybody with truth and love. Truth and love. And they're hand in hand. And that's the responsibilities that we have. But then when culture is moving in a direction that you can't say anything negative about anyone, it's going to be hard to challenge them how they're living or how they're not honoring God and be able to bring that up. But that's the expectations God has put on us, and we have no better example than that, than Jesus himself. So we're going to be looking at this more, this idea, as again, as we talk about the Sabbath, love versus legalism in these three areas, the Sabbath keeping, the harvesting of grain, and healing a hand. And so as we get into the Sabbath, here's point one. Observing the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. God intends for it to be a useful reminder for us, his creation, to rest from work and spend time in worship. So we see that the Sabbath, and I don't know what you know about the Sabbath, and you might not have remembered that it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's commandment number four, so it's important. It's from God. And it's important to understand the details as we get into this. But I do know that there's so much negativity around the Sabbath. I can think through all the messages that I've heard past years and been a part of. But that's because the Pharisees brought so many demanding lists about the Sabbath that made it negative. But then there might even be some confusion. Are we supposed to observe the Sabbath? And as you're thinking about that, we're going to get into that more. But let's look back in Exodus about the Sabbath and where it comes from. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, gives us a great reminder and really details of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. And here's what it comes from, the Sabbath. Now verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that it is in them, and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so before we get into the Sabbath details, let's just talk a little bit about some of the details about the day. So with Sunday being the first day, the Sabbath day then at this time period would be Saturday. And many churches and religions still observe the Sabbath on Saturday. And so now, fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus comes. The reason we call it Good Friday, even though that's the day he gives his death, that's the day that he conquered our sin problem. So there is good news within Jesus' death. But he didn't also remain dead. He rose three days later on Sunday. When that happened, churches now declared that Sunday the day of the Lord. And so a lot of churches like us now come and worship on Sundays rather than Saturdays because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So right there, we have this little bit of a debate. All right, so is it supposed to be Saturday? Is it supposed to be Sunday? Well, stay tuned. But understanding the Sabbath, that yes, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's from God, and God's intent with the Sabbath is good. It's good because he cares for us. He says, I don't want you to work seven days a week. I don't want you to be dominated or take advantage of. And I know that you're going to need my help. And I give you this day that's set apart from all the other days. And on this day, I want you to rest. Now, God modeled this. Now, technically, does God need to rest? He's all-powerful. No, he ceased from working on that seventh day. And yes, in his way, rested, but it's different for us. He knows the limitations. He knows how busy the calendar is going to get for us. He knows the dilemma that we might find ourselves in of working ourselves to the point of exhaustion and all those details. And he goes, on this day, I want you to rest. And what he means by rest is clear your mind. Clear your mind from all the distractions and worship me. There's this time that I want to connect with you, and it's when you worship me, God says, I have this time, this special time that's set apart from the other six days. And so we see God's intent is pure. God's intent is good, and it's about worshiping him. Yes, we get to have the privilege of rest, but it's also about worshiping him. But what happens is, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time start to change the intent. And what this day becomes is something much different than God intended. Now, if you're still wondering, okay, is this something that we're supposed to acknowledge? Is this something that we're supposed to be a part of? Stay tuned. We're going to get into more of this. But now we're going to transition to the second point, the harvesting grain, and we're going to see now when the religious police hit the scene, but we'll talk more about the Sabbath. But here's the point. Pharisees were well known for adding extra rules to barricade themselves and others from breaking the law. They did this to the point that loving and caring for others took a back seat to the religious duties. So here's a few things that they added to God's original plan of the Sabbath. Here's just a few examples of this. It says they couldn't draw water on the Sabbath. So you better go into that day full of water because you're not able to drink water and draw water on the Sabbath. They considered that outside the lines. They weren't allowed to walk more than 1,000 cubits, which is about a third of a mile. So just think this. You wake up. 
You got basically how many hours before you can fall back asleep and you start counting your steps. They would count. Now, they didn't know exactly, possibly, all the details of where they were going to go, but if they're anything like me, I was like, was I on 280 or 480? Like, I can't remember. I'm walking. And then you start getting to that 1,000, but you're not yet home. Say you get five feet from that door and you stop at 1,000. You're like, what do I do now? If I take one more step, I'm not going to be in favor with God. That's sin. Well, it doesn't say anything about jumping. Maybe I can jump into the house. No, I, I'm serious. Like, they, they would count their steps, and they would come to a place. They, a lot of them would not know exactly what to do. They would have to wait there until 12 midnight before they can take another step. And we see this over and over. And it also says they couldn't carry anything from inside the house to outside or vice versa. Couldn't assess Assist in the birth of an animal on the Sabbath. That's four days out of the month. Your sheep better be really well trained because you wouldn't be able to assist them in the birth. That was considered work. Now, say your sheep fell into a lake and was about to drown or a pond, you could go in and save them at that point. These are just some of the weird dynamics and laws and rules that people started to institute. And today, the list continues to grow. So think back to this thousands of years ago. The religious communities of today, here's a couple of examples. In the metropolitan areas and the high-rise buildings, if you go into a building, you're not allowed on the Sabbath to push the button on the elevator. You have to have a bellhop or somebody else come push the button. You're not allowed to open the door. So you have to, again, have somebody have access to help you through the door. There's all these unfortunate demands that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time were implementing it, and here's what happened to the Sabbath. It turned into a day that you're supposed to be focusing on God, of what to do, but it became a day that you focus on things that you're not supposed to do. To date, there are hundreds, possibly over the thousand mark, of rules and laws connected to the Sabbath about what not to do. Now, you give me that many rules, that many laws, my goodness, how are you going to get through that day without this heavy burden of trying to be good enough for God? There are so many rules and regulations and laws that cause you to say, well, I can't do this, but I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do this. Oops, I did this. Oh, man, now I'm two out of four. Oh, my goodness, by the end of the day, I got a laundry list of things that I did on the Sabbath. And it became a burden rather than a blessing from God. This was a time that God has given us this special day that's set apart from all other days. And it is supposed to renew us, to refresh us for the coming week and spending time with God. But we're so focused about what not to do. It's this burden that's keeping me from doing anything about honoring God. And the only thing I can think about during the Sabbath is all the sin of all the rules and laws that I'm not living up to. We can see the Pharisees' intent. They loved these barricades. They loved these laws. They loved having this religious authority over people. But that was never part of God's plan. And that's why the Sabbath has become so negative within our culture. But even the religious Jewish communities, communities that are trying to honor the Sabbath have added more and it's just not possible to honor God in those days by trying to be good enough to accomplish 
all of the rightful things to do on that day. So now we're going to get into the story, and we're going to hear from the religious police. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? So we're about to look at Jesus' response to this. But again, understanding that the purpose of the Sabbath was a day of rest and then a time of worship where we really connect to God and seek God's will and everything and all the things that we're experiencing, experiencing in life. And so here are the, the disciples, and it says they're breaking off bread with their hands of grain, but the Pharisees accuse them of this because this isn't some just you know, light mention about doing something wrong. They say, you guys are breaking the law. Like, this is a serious offense here by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. So let's look at Deuteronomy 23, verse 25 says this. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Now, it's interesting. So we just saw, and we, we see from this verse, that the disciples didn't do anything wrong. God is concerned about hungry people. And you were allowed to go into your neighbor's grain if you needed to bust off an ear and get some grain and, and eat. All, God is all for that. God is all for working through us, providing for neighbors. But Jesus doesn't use this verse. He could have. But Jesus' response, he, he takes a different angle because he could have argued, well, here's what it says in Deuteronomy. And we can see that the disciples didn't do anything wrong. But Jesus is getting at the heart condition of these Pharisees. So here's the response from Jesus. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? So let me just stop right there because this is so important. What does Jesus turn to? He turns to God's word. He doesn't come up with something that's outside of God's word, and he's challenging them. Have you guys ever read the Bible? That's what he's getting at here. Have you? Do you know what God's word says about this? Now, what he's doing is he's talking about a Jewish hero in Scripture. The Pharisees adored King David. And so he's really going to mix the pot up right now with the next comments. But he's getting at their heart. And he goes, Don't, haven't you heard when David did when he and his companions were hungry, just like my disciples are hungry, but you're getting on them. They're not even breaking the law. They just need to eat. You can eat on the Sabbath. Some people don't. Some people do. He went into the house of the God, here's what David did, during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law, this is Jesus speaking now, David broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. So here's the backstory. So King David's being hunted down. King Saul's trying to kill him and his men. King David and his companions are hungry. He knows that in the, in the temple there's going to be some bread, the sacred bread that is only prepared and eaten by the priests, but he's desperate at this point. God is okay with this. God is okay if we're hungry, that we can fill that need, meet that need. And so David lies to the priest. The priest gives him these loaves of bread, and then he eats and he gives it to his companions. And what Jesus is saying here, 
What King David did was much worse than what my disciples are doing. But we also know through Scripture, going back and studying, that King David was never condemned for this. But we do know this. He broke the law on the Sabbath to their requirements. We do know that much. And Jesus is trying to get at here is you're not holding David accountable when he was hungry, but yet you are holding my disciples accountable and they're not doing anything wrong. They're well within their religious responsibilities of breaking off grain with their hands and eating it. That is not against the law. We continue. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So now we see God gave us this day to meet our needs. You need this. You need this day of rest. You need this day of worship, this connection to me. This is what you need. And I'm giving it to you. And God's intent was pure and it was perfect. It's man who sabotaged the Sabbath. And what Jesus is getting at here with the Pharisees is they just don't have the right heart. They don't have the right approach. And what the Sabbath has become when you're focused on what not to do, now the people are trying to meet the needs of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a blessing to us. But now we're trying to meet the needs and the requirements and it's just too much. Jesus is saying, you're the one that has this all wrong. And he's going to prove that. Because he says, where is the love for people in this? If people are hungry, are they supposed to starve? Of course not. God loves to care for needs and God loves us. And through one another and all the details that he can do, he can provide through and for us. But now what Jesus is going to do is really upset them. And now we're going to be looking at healing a hand. Here's point three. Jesus responds to the toxic religious leaders of his day by correcting their interpretation of Scripture. His actions show that God cares about love over legalism. So let's look at this in Mark 3. Now chapter 2 is over. We're entering into chapter 3. For the next series, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. So this man, he has this deformed hand, and you've got to understand that's one of the most important resources for working, especially at this time, as most of this was out in the fields, were hands. And so here's this man, to what limitations, we don't know, but I'm sure that he had a challenge, you know, earning a, an honest wage because he wasn't going to be as useful. Who's going to pick him with somebody who has two working hands? And so Jesus you know, has compassion for this man and he sees this man in, in the synagogue and he's, he's understanding some things, but it's important to understand that yes, Jesus had enemies because the Pharisees at their time, they were threatened by Jesus because more people were starting to follow Jesus and it was taking the authority away from the Pharisees, the religious elite. They loved having power over the people. They loved having the demands over these people and it's starting to change a bit. And now they start to scheme. And they said, look, as soon as he hopefully, as hopefully he heals this guy's hand and then we got him. 
But just understand this. They understand that Jesus has healing power here. Because they're not denying that he can't heal this guy's hand. They actually want him to heal this man's hand. And if you remember, he did only miracles that God can do. And yet, they're not denying that he has healing power. But at the same time, they're wanting this man to be healed so that they can accuse him of something on the Sabbath, which is working. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Jesus wants this to be public. He's not trying to hide anything. He invites this man to come forward in front of everyone. This is a public thing that Jesus is doing. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save, save life or to destroy it? And I love this but they wouldn't answer him. Is this Sabbath day, is this Sabbath day about honoring God? Or is it about honoring Satan, who's very much connected to evil? They would have made that connection of evil, because the evil one was Satan. You have God, and you have evil on this, evil on this side. And they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. And Jesus says, what is it? What is this day for? Is it for a day of healing or is it a day of evil? Do we save lives on this day or are we destroying lives on this day? And then he dropped the mic. And they couldn't answer him. Jesus, oh, he's, well, he's God, so he's really, really smart. And he's able to, to, to penetrate the mind in a way that they're like, hmm, how do we answer that? I, nothing is even coming to mind. Because no matter what, I mean, just put ourselves in the Pharisees at this point. What do they do? What do they say? There's more. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Here's what I want us to know about this. Jesus did not hate the Pharisees. He was angry with them because of their actions, but that's righteous anger. In the same way, most of the time when we are angry, we are sinning, but there is righteous anger, and that's what Jesus is communicating. But what was he? He was deeply saddened for the Pharisees because they had hard hearts. He loved them. They rejected him, but his love was perfect for them just as it is for us. And he was saddened because of this, knowing that they weren't going to change, their hearts weren't going to soften. And then here's Jesus' response. He said, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. He did something only God can do. A miracle like this can only be from God. And this man's hand was healed at once. Now look at the reaction of the Pharisees. The Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Here's this loving God reaching out to this man that was limited to whatever extent, and now he's healed because Jesus is more about healing than destroying. And he brings an opportunity for, to this man that he has not experienced, and we don't know exactly all the details of how it, it came to be injured or if that, he was born that way or whatever the case may be, but now... 
Now he's changed. And their response is because he did that, now we want to kill Jesus. That is a hardened heart. And they're using the Sabbath to prove their point. That Jesus, you worked on the Sabbath, therefore your punishment is death. That's their response. That's, that's what they say. Is this a day about life? Is this a day about evil? They're making it a day about evil. They want this man dead. And if you go on and read the story, but understanding this was never God's intent. The Sabbath and the rules and the regulations and the laws led, Scripture led people to this time period where the Sabbath was a disaster. It was something that no one could live up to. It was a command, one of the Ten Commandments, but it was so manipulated by man and distorted by man, and they distort scriptures to support their case. That's what the Sabbath became. So do we acknowledge the Sabbath? Should we acknowledge the Sabbath? What's your answer? Not the way they've done it. If you think the Sabbath is, is a day of rest without work, in a way that what can I not do on that day, that's not the right heart. The Sabbath was intended for goodness. So yes, you can observe the Sabbath. Who cares what day? Because there's this one in seven rule. Some people have to work Saturdays and Sundays. This is a working day for me, so what does that mean for me? I'm working. Am I in violation of the Sabbath? Because this is the day we come to worship. Let me ask this question. Can you mow your lawn on the Sabbath? Yes. Because as soon as you start making the list of what you can't do, you fall right back into this trap. Do you need the Sabbath day? No. Because Jesus came and gave his life and changed everything moving forward. Do we need rest? Yes. Can it be on a Wednesday? Yes. Can it be on a Friday? Yes. See, in Hebrews, it talks about the Gentiles coming to faith, and the disciples were talking about, do we make these burdens of the Sabbath? Do we put these burdens on the Gentiles? And they came to the decision, no, because it's making it hard for people to come to God. But here's what I want to say. There is nothing wrong with the Sabbath. If you want to honor the Sabbath on Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday, do it. Should you judge people who don't acknowledge the Sabbath? No. Because maybe those people worship every day. I get plenty of rest on my work days. Why? Because I'm a pastor. Part of my job is to go out to lunch, sit down, and eat. I get plenty of rest. And that's the God truth. If you want a lunch date, I'll be available. Not this week because we're traveling, but next week. My rest might be different than your rest, and that's okay. I love projects. Projects energize me. I got to be building something. I, I love Jesus. He was a carpenter. That's when I get recharged. Now, does my body need rest? Yes, but I get plenty of it. It's the heart. This is a heart issue. It's not up here. Let's schedule it on the calendar, and it's all up here in the mind. It is the heart. Do you make time for Jesus and time to worship him and to do what God's original intent? 
was to get focused, get all the distractions of the busyness of life, and just have this heart that says, my heart wants to align with your heart, Jesus. That's why part of me worships every single day. But there's nothing wrong with the Sabbath. But it's more about God came and gave us access to come to him 24 hours a day, every single day. You just can't come to him on Sunday here at church and go, wow, you can do it Monday night at midnight. Believe me, anytime you reach out to God, he will be there. And that's what he wants. He wants hearts of his children to be aligned and wanting to pursue him and worship him and exalt him. But there's a way we can rest. Hebrews 10, 12 says it like this, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time, talking about Jesus. Then after his work was done and he accomplished salvation, then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. See, the reason why we can rest, but we rest in Jesus, because he did all the work. Like our future, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, is cemented for all times. It's not going to change. And God has more than this, just the here and now. This life here, he's got this eternal promise. And so as we are resting, we always acknowledge with Jesus, everything we do is foreshadowing what he did on the cross. And his work now allows us to rest because we don't have to work for it. He did all the work. No longer are we tied to these burdens about being made right with God because we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And now we can rest in him by what he did. That's how we rest with this assurance of salvation that comes from Jesus, and it goes not just here and now, but into eternity. That's my hope for you. Now, if you still have questions about the Sabbath, talk to the person that invited you. Come up after the service, we'll talk more about it, but let's pray. Lord, we give you praise and thanks for who you are. We're grateful that you did all the work for salvation. And we recognize that you are in the heavenly realm now, sitting at the place of honor, because of your accomplishment of dying on the cross, giving us the ability to have life. My hope is that everyone here would respond to that loving action that you demonstrated your love for us by going to the cross and dying for us and lying, laying your life down for each and every one of us, Lord. And we're grateful because we know that you also have more work to do it's the second coming, Lord. And that you're going to bring judgment upon this world, Lord. And my hope is that everyone here recognizes that, that that day will come, but also understanding how you love them. This is a great example in the Pharisees, how you loved them. They were stubborn. They wouldn't listen. Little did they know they were accomplishing your will, your plan of how you were going to bring salvation into this world. It's just a, a miracle of, of how and this all worked, Lord. But we do pray that we would understand the details of your work and that we would find rest in that, Lord, as we move forward. And it's not about following a whole bunch of lists and rules that we could never live up to, but it's by living within your grace and mercy. And then once we come to faith, Lord, then yes, we live lives and our actions should match our words of our beliefs in you. And that's why we want to honor you, Lord. But even then we fall short. Thank you for who you are 
And my hope is that we have a better understanding of your truth, that your word would speak to us throughout the week, Lord, and that we would be changed forever, that we would truly have hearts that want to seek you in worship. I pray that that would be the call in our lives as we close out this last song, that we lift these words up. For some of us, it's going to be making a joyful noise, Lord. That's okay. But may our hearts lead us in worship of wanting to worship you by lifting up our voice in praise for you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.